0: Well, good morning, everybody. It is spring, right? Yeah. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Adam. I'm one of the associate pastors here. And uh, if this is your first time with us here as a guest, we're very glad you're here. Or maybe you were with us last week for Easter at Hearing Auditorium and it's your first time in this building. Well, welcome uh, to you guys. Uh, Before we jump into God's Word today, I just wanted to highlight two announcements uh, for you that are in your bulletin. The first one uh, is next Saturday, uh, we're holding a conference here at Bethel. Uh, It's called the 12 Plus Conference, and it's aimed at small group leaders. Uh, What's a small group? Small group's a group of about 12 people or so. We uh, meet in people's homes during the week for fellowship, to study God's word. And uh, basically, this is a training event for people who who are either currently leading a small group, or you say... That sounds interesting. Maybe I'd like to sometime in the future host a group like this in my home or lead a group. Uh, I'd encourage you guys to RSVP in the uh, bulletin. Uh, this is the last day to uh, sign up so we can make sure that we have lunch ready for you and childcare if you'd like that as well. Uh, so please uh, fill that out if uh, that sounds like you. Uh, there's no cost for the conference. The second thing uh, you'll notice in your bulletin, we have uh, an insert here for something called a rooted. Uh, This is a new uh, class that we're going to be doing on, like, continually uh, at Bethel, and it's basically aimed at folks who are newish here, uh, say, like, you've been here under a year, and you're wondering to yourself, well, how can I get more plugged in to know people, to kind of know what this church is about, and to find a place of ministry? Uh, So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have our first session is at the end of the month, the 28th. Uh, It's during second service, uh, so you'd probably come to first service uh, to worship and then head on upstairs uh, to check it out. And it's going to go for 12 weeks, so it's a 12-week commitment. Uh, Again, no cost, uh, but you uh, will go over some uh, basic discipleship things. You'll get to know other people uh, who attend here and uh, hopefully find a place where you can use your gifts uh, with the calling that God has given you. So I encourage you to check that out. Uh, Well, let's just pray so we can get into God's Word here. Lord, uh, we do praise you, Lord. Your name is great, and uh, yet amazingly, you let us just approach you because of Jesus, because of your shed blood. So, Lord, we just ask that you'd open our hearts and open our ears as we jump into your word today. We want to uh, be more like you, we want to know you, uh, and we want to live the lives you want us to live. So we give this time to you and we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, I know a fair amount of you people out here, and uh, it's just always a delight for me to see the different way that God makes people. Uh, All of us have a different kind of past history, where we came from, our roots. A lot of that's grounded in where we grew up and our family situation. Uh, Beyond that, we all have a different kind of personality and temperament, uh, and we all have just lots of different things about each one of us. If I were to survey you guys for your favorite ice cream I would probably get quite a list of different kinds of ice creams on that list. Um, But with all the differences that we have between us, I think there's something that most of us at least have in common. And that thing that we have in common uh, is that for most of us, there's probably someone that we know that we don't really like. And I know you're thinking, "Hey, wait a minute! This is church here. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus, and we're supposed to love everybody and turn the other cheeks to our enemy. Turn the other cheek to our enemy. Well, that can be easier said than done. Um, if we're honest with our own hearts, I think that a lot of us would admit that we sometimes we struggle to love certain people. Now, for some of us, this might be an entire group of people uh, that we struggle to love. Uh, after 9/11, that's been a long time." Now, but probably a lot of us uh, felt some animosity towards Muslims. Uh, No shocker there. Uh, In more recent times, with everything going on in the Supreme Court and this big media push for homosexual marriage in our nation, probably a lot of us are saying, you know what? I'm finding it hard to uh, show Christ's love to homosexuals. Or to my very liberal friends on Facebook who know how to push my buttons by writing just the right thing to ooh make me smoke. Um, now, for some of us, though, we, we don't think in broad categories like Muslims or homosexuals, but we might think of one particular person that we have a hard time loving. And if we're really in touch with our emotions, we might say, it's not even an issue that I have a hard time loving him. I downright hate this person. Now, hate's a, an ugly word. It's a strong word. Uh, but we feel that we're justified in our hate, especially if we've been personally hurt by this person. We can say, you know what? I hate that person because when I was a kid, he molested me, or she cheated on me, or he stole from me, or they sabotage my career. How can I not hate them? And because we dislike these groups of people or hate this certain someone, that messed us up, we treat them in a certain way. And I think for a lot of us who uh, follow Jesus, the way that we treat him is we just try to avoid them. We say, hey, it's not going to be, pretty things aren't going to be coming out of my heart if I'm near them." So the best thing to do is to just stay far away. If they're going to be at point A, I will be point B or Z just to get away from them. Uh, and we think that's the Christian thing to do is just avoid them as best we can, keep our mouths shut, and walk away. Uh, and in the worst moments, it goes beyond avoidance, and we, we even take delight uh, when we hear that bad things happen to these people we don't like. We say things like, ah, did you hear? Someone smashed up my ex-wife's SUV. Huh. Serves her right. Something like that. And a lot of the time, we know that these people that we don't like or that individual that we hate They might be bent on a particular path in their life that's very destructive. And, frankly, we don't care. We just want to let them go their own way so that they'll get it in the end. Muslims, worshipping a false god. Homosexuals, living a destructive life and doing things that God doesn't want them to do. Your ex-spouse, maybe you see them making this series of bad choices over and over again and ripping their life apart. And we say to ourselves, you know what? I'm glad they're going that way. I know what they really need. They need to hear Jesus. They need to hear about Jesus. They need to have God's life-saving gospel into their lives. But let someone else bring that message to them. I want nothing to do with them. And we ask ourselves, why should I bother to exert myself to share the gospel with someone that I can't stand? Well, that's a good question. Why should we, as followers of Jesus Christ, put forth any kind of effort to share God's love with people we hate? Well, we're going to read about one of God's people today who is dealing with that same issue. I'll give you a guess. Who do you think we're going to talk about today? Jonah. Okay, there's always someone in there. Jonah. You know the man. His name's Jonah. And if you remember the story of Jonah from when you were a kid, he had this heart issue. And I don't mean like a medical heart issue. I mean he had hatred in his heart. Now, the group of people that Jonah hated was a nation of people known as the Assyrians. And he felt justified in his hatred. First of all, the Assyrians, it was a pagan nation. They did not worship the true God. They worshiped idols. Beyond that, they were very warlike Syrians didn't have any geography to protect them like a big mountain or a uh, uh, you know, big ocean like that uh, to protect them as a nation. So what they had to do to survive was learn how to fight and they fought very well. And in fact, uh, they even had a reputation for using terror to intimidate their opponents. They would flay people alive, they would maim their subjects and they would stack up piles of skulls just to terrify their opponents. And this particular group of people had a history of running into uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. So for Jonah, this was personal. His hatred was just seething. He says, They've messed with my people, the people who are following the true God here. Uh, I can't stand them. And he was pretty much glad that they were going to be facing judgment. But, you know, we remember the story of Jonah from when we were kids. God had other plans for Jonah. God called him and told him to go minister to the very people that he detested. This prophet heard a direct command from the creator of the universe and maybe not so surprisingly, Jonah says, Nope. Not me. Send someone else. I'm not going to go talk to them. Because he wanted to know the same question we want to know. Why should I bother sharing God's saving message with people that I hate so much. Now, uh, we're going to look at the answer to that, but I want to just mention one quick thing here before we jump into Jonah's story. Uh, I think that because we've heard this story so many times as kids, we kind of jump to autopilot when we hear, Oh, Jonah, I know this one. Do what God tells you to do the first time or he's going to get you. Well, uh, if you think that that's what the book of Jonah is about, I would say there's quite a bit more uh, to Jonah than do what God tells you to do the first time or you're going to be fish bait. Uh, There's more to that. So um, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Jonah, if you've got them with you. We're going to just start with chapter 1, verse 1, and go through his story and find out why we should bother sharing the gospel with people we hate. Jonah, chapter 1, we'll be in verse 1. Well, the first thing we're going to look at in the book of Jonah is the fact that God goes to great lengths to urge people to do the right thing. Now, in this case, with Jonah, the right thing that was supposed to be done is he's supposed to go preach to the people that he hates, um, these Assyrians. Let's read, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Okay, simple enough intro here. We think that for Jonah, this might sound like a pretty good gig, right? He can't stand the Assyrians, and he gets to go preach against it. So he's basically going and saying to them, what you guys are doing is bad news. But strangely enough, Jonah decides to run the other way. Verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord, And headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I just want to take note of two quick things here. First, Jonah's not eager at all to go there. And why not? We know later in the book of Jonah that basically Jonah knows God's character. And even though that Jonah hates the Assyrians he understands that God is gracious, compassionate, and loving. And he figures if he goes to talk to them and tell them about their wickedness, that they might change their minds and repent, and then God would have to forgive them. But for Jonah, he didn't want any part of that. This was payback time for those Assyrians. The best way that he could sock it to them is to let them continue on in the wicked course that they were going on and let God judge them. And that could be just like us with the people that we hate. We might not like them, or we might downright hate them. And so we just say, you know what? I'm just going to avoid them. I'm just going to let them go their way. They've made up their minds. It's no use me spending any time talking to them. I'll just let God deal with them in the end. Well, the second thing here that we want to note, which is always amusing to us, right, is that Jonah's trying to flee from God. I mean, think about that for a second. This is absolute insanity. This is like when I have an 18-month-year-old little girl and I say, Lizzie, time to get your coat on. And then what does she do? Does she run for the closet? No, she runs from me, tries to hide under her like high chair. And can she hide from Daddy? Not yet. She's not that good yet. <laughs> and this is like us trying to hide from God. It might sound crazy, but maybe it doesn't sound so unfamiliar to us. Because I think that this is something that we can do a lot of the time We know that God wants us to go share the gospel with someone that is just uncomfortable, or he wants us to do something, and we think, "Ah, I don't really want to be obedient to that one. Uh, And we have the audacity to tell the creator of the universe, nope, not me, not this time, ain't going to go. And then we run away and try to hide from him. So we can relate to Jonah. Now, we don't exactly know where Tarshish was, but it was somewhere out there on the Mediterranean, and the whole idea here is that Nineveh was inland. So inland, way out in sea. Jonah's trying to go the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. Well, this is where, God, or where things get really interesting. Just imagine yourself, you're in God's shoes, so to speak, and uh, you have one of your creatures just flagrantly saying, no, I'm not going to obey you, God. I've, you told me what you want me to do, and I'm not going to do it. Well, what do you do? Do you hurl down a a meteorite and just blow up Jonah? I think a lot of us, if we were God, we'd use meteors quite often. Not so often these days. Uh, Or would you just say, you know what, that crazy kid, I'm just going to forget about him. You know what, I just want nothing to do with Jonah. Well, God doesn't choose either of those avenues. Instead, what he does see, he starts sending the series of circumstances Jonah's way to bring him to a place of repentance. He doesn't give up on Jonah, although it would be pretty easy for God to do so. And isn't it refreshing for you and for me that God isn't the kind of God who doesn't just blow us up or blow us off every time we disobey him? I'm glad. God has a lot of mercy on us, and he's patient with us day after day. So God sends the first in this series of reminders to him. Uh, He reminds him of his mission in verse 4. By sending a wind. Verse 4: Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Hello? Jonah? See that big storm outside, the one that everyone else is shrieking out about, and you just kind of ignore it? Maybe it's not such a good idea to try to run away and hide. Maybe you should try to go talk to those Ninevites like I asked you to. Well, how does Jonah react? He just tunes God out, gives him the stiff arm here. rest of verse 4 reads, But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Now, I think uh, sometimes when we've started on that course of disobedience to God, it's just easy to just say, let it ride. I've already said no, come on May, let's just keep on going this way. It's too hard to turn around, I'll just, made one bad decision, what does it matter if I make three bad decisions here? But God sends Jonah another wake-up call. He doesn't just let him get away with it here. The captain goes down to Jonah and says to him, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we'll not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? So, very embarrassingly, probably, for Jonah, he has to fess up here and say, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and land. And this terrified them, the sailors, and asked what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. No big deal, just running away from the creator of everything. But think about how humbling this scene would have been for Jonah. I mean, here he is. He's the one who's worshiping the true God. He's the one with the answers here. And he's basically saying, you know what? Yeah, oh yeah, I follow the true God, but you know what? Just, I'm going to run away from what he wants me to do. And so he has to have a bunch of... Basically, pagan sailors tell him the right thing to do. Call on your God. And that happens to us sometimes, too. Sometimes we need to hear things from the lips of someone who hasn't put their trust in Jesus yet to know that we're not on the right path, right? Like maybe you're at a dinner party with your family and you're just so worked up about all this the homosexual uh, marriage stuff in, in our country here that you start just bitterly ranting and railing on on your, your gay coworker and just totally ripping this person apart to shreds while they're not even there. And then your unsaved brother-in-law says, dude, maybe you should show this guy a little bit of love, some of that God's love you're always talking about. Yikes. Sometimes it takes someone who doesn't even know God to make us realize how out of line we are, and that's what happens with Jonah here. So these pagans come to this man of God, and they force him to remember who he is. Look at their line of questioning here in which God he serves. And they know that he has the answer to the problem that they're in, so they ask him for help. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Now, this is the very first of my rewrites of Jonah. I love to rewrite Jonah because it's fun to imagine in your mind here. The right answer for Jonah at this point would be for him to say, you know what, guys? There's nothing really that you can do, but what I need to do is I need to come clean with God and do what he told me to do, and then all this will go away. But, is that what Jonah says? Nope. He'd rather die than have God's, his enemies uh, find grace in God's sight. So he says in verse 12, pick me up, throw me in the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Well, throw them into the sea. Well, if they did that, they might be safe, but they would be destroying his life. And what's interesting here is that these pagan sailors, they don't know the true God, they value Jonah's life, but he doesn't really care one rip about them, right? So they uh, value his life. In verse 13 it says, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. So you have this contrast here. These sailors care about Jonah's life, but he's asleep down below, not caring what's happening up to them uh, in the storm. He's totally indifferent. Eventually, though, these pagan sailors have no choice, and they do have to throw him overboard. And so they call out, and they say, They cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Jonah was disobedient and he dug in his heels here on the boat and said, you know what? Just throw me in the sea. I'm going to continue to be disobedient here. And God was still glorified in the eyes of these sailors here despite his disobedience. But disobedience is not the best way to glorify God. Now, at this point, we could probably just wrap up the book of Jonah and say something like, and so the disobedient prophet died a terrible death choking on an octopus. And everybody who heard about it, that you'd better not disobey God Almighty or you're going to get it, right? Because this is what we've been told about Jonah all our lives. Well, if the book of Jonah ended that way, we'd have a very different story. But even though Jonah persisted in his disobedience, God wasn't ready to give up on him. God sent him a little more help to get him to reconsider his ways. Next verse, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Well, what did God really give Jonah by providing this fish? First of all, salvation from certain destruction in the ocean, right? Saved his life. And the second thing is he gave him some quality time to consider about how good God had been to him by saving him. And from inside the fish, Jonah prays these beautiful words that are chapter 2 here to acknowledge God's goodness to him and his salvation. I'll just read chapter 2 here. It says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me in the deep into the very heart of the seas, and the currents rolled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I'll look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Yahweh my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So he's acknowledging here God's goodness and saving him. And towards the end of the prayer here, he says he's going to do the right thing. Continuing in verse 8, he says, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I'll make good. So he's going to do the right thing here. Salvation comes from Yahweh. And the Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land. So when Jonah disobeyed God, God didn't instantly destroy him. He didn't write Jonah off. God persistently sent him these reminders to get him to get in line with his program. God didn't have to send the wind, but he did. God didn't have to send those sailors time and time again to remind him of who he was and what he was supposed to be doing, but he did. God didn't have to send the fish to save his life, but he did. He didn't have to give him time to think and reflect about what he had done and about God's salvation, but he did. And God pulled out all the stops to get Jonah to change his actions. And eventually Jonah did, right? So what's the application for us? Well, maybe you're in the place where you know you've got so much anger built up, you're not quite ready to talk with your Muslim co-worker about the true God or You're just seething with anger over everything going on in the Supreme Court and you're not ready to talk to someone gay that you know in your family maybe. Or uh, you know you're not ready to talk to that person who hurt you when you were a kid. But maybe it's time that you take your own personal time out and consider God's goodness to you and how he's brought salvation to you. He didn't have to send that first person to share the gospel with you, but he did. He did. And after he rejected that first person, he didn't have to send the second or the third or whatever your particular circumstances were. God went to a great effort to get us to hear, uh, to get us to change our ways. God goes to great lengths to get us to do the right thing. And the right thing in Jonah's case was for him to just do what God had said to do, go talk to those Ninevites, those people in Assyria, or the Assyrians. And so he did. Chapter three starts out, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Can you feel the love that he has here? 40 more days. And Nineveh will be overturned. Not a very happy message here, right? And we don't know if that's the entirety of his message or if that's just kind of a summary of what he was saying here. Uh, but we at least know that he was being obedient this time. He was going there. He was preaching. He was doing it. His teeth might have been like this, but he was, he was going to do it. And so he did. He might have still hated those Ninevites in his heart, but he was doing what he had been told he was supposed to do. Well, what's the reaction from the Assyrians here? They repented big time. Uh, Verse 5 says, The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. This is a way that they show humility, right? And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, another sign of humility. And when the news reached the king in Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the man but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth, let everyone call urgently on God, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion, and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So look again here. Jonah's disobedience on the boat where he's digging in his heels. God still gets glorified among those sailors. And when Jonah's obedient, shall we say, grudgingly obedient, God gets glorified there among the people there. A little obedience goes a long way when God's in the picture. So what's the lesson for you and me? Maybe there's something practical that we can do with our actions to share God's love with the people that we don't care for or the people that we downright hate. If we have no heart for Muslims, maybe something practical we could do is find out a missions agency uh, that ministers to those people and write them a check every month. If you have uh, anger and, and hatred towards your homosexual coworker, don't always be so quick to avoid that person around the water cooler, but engage that person and start to talk to them about something, find out what's on their heart, get to know them. Matter than heck at your ex-spouse? Well, decide that you're going to pray for him or for her three times a week. Might be surprised at what God could do with that. But again, we got to ask, is is heartless obedience enough? Is this, is this the ideal? Jonah, okay, I'm obedient. Okay, I'm going to follow God. Oh yeah, um, this is great. No, this isn't the picture. Uh, Of what we want here. It's not good enough to do the right thing even when our heart is not in it. The book of Jonah doesn't end with chapter 3. It's true that God goes to great lengths to get us to do the right thing, but he doesn't stop there with Jonah or with us. When we go on to chapter 4, we see that God goes to great lengths to change our heart's attitudes. Now, at the start of chapter 4, we see that Jonah's actions are right. Okay, he's preaching, he's there, he's saying the right things here, but his heart's all wrong. He still hates these people. Start at chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased. With what? With all these people repenting, not getting the ax, right? And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Yikes. Catch that? Jonah's got a death wish here. Things don't go his way with the Ninevites. God showed him mercy, and that made Jonah mad. He's absolutely seething. Now, God wants to fix Jonah's heart, so... God continues the discussion with Jonah here, and he asks him a question. The Lord replied to Jonah, have you any right to be angry? Okay, well, at this point in scripture, we don't hear an answer from Jonah. He's still mad. Uh, Maybe he doesn't want to talk about it, or maybe he's kind of muttering something under his breath here. So he kind of stomps his way out of Nineveh, sets up a shelter on the outskirts of town, and he camps out there and waits to see If maybe God's still going to send a little bit of destruction in of his way. Maybe he's going to change his mind and and get these people that he hates so much. Verse 5, Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. He made himself their shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Well, it's obvious that Jonah still has this hating heart, but God's not about to let the issue go. God ups the ante by sending Jonah a little object lesson with a vine and a worm. Right, Verse 6, The Lord God provided a vine and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade to his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. That's about the only thing that Jonah's happy about here in the whole book, right? But at the dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, and it'd be better for me to die than to live. Death wish. You get the picture here? God's giving him an object lesson. He has this vine grow up over his head. He's all happy about that. Then God cuts it down from underneath him, sends a hot wind on him. The thermostat's going up, up, up. He's miserable in the heat. And then God addresses his heart issue. God bent over backwards to bring up this root issue in Jonah's heart. And he says, okay, Jonah, You don't want to talk about Nineveh anymore? That's fine. Let's just talk about the vine. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? Well, you think at this point, Jonah would see the light, that he'd say something like, oh, yeah, you're right, Lord. It's just a vine. I don't know why I'm getting so worked up about this. I mean, I don't know why I said it'd be better for me to be dead than to not have a vine over my head what Jonah actually says is a little bit more colorful. God sets it up. He says to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry with the vine? Jonah's response, I do. I'm angry enough to die. Whoa. This is the hill that you're willing to die on, Jonah? You'd rather die than go on living and not get your way about something like a vine? We have a word for that. That's called selfishness. Don't you see how crazy that is? But that's what's in our hearts every time we want to just avoid people and blow people off who don't have the gospel. We're fine because we're saved. Who cares about the rest of them? Sure, yeah, it's good if the nice people go to heaven and hear about Jesus. But not those Muslims. Not those homosexuals. Not that uncle who hurt you when you were a kid. They deserve what they get. But God has a different perspective in the last two verses of the book. He says in verse 10, But the Lord said to Jonah, You've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? It's kind of like God ends this whole thing by saying to Jonah, Don't you see how selfish your heart's being is here? Don't you see how much I love these people? Think about how patient I was with you, Jonah. I could have written you off a long time ago, sent that meteor, comet, whatever, but I didn't because I love you so much. And I love them too. As a matter of fact, I'm even concerned about the cattle and stuff in that city. Now, are those Ninevites sinners, do they worship a false god? Are those Muslims worshiping a false god? Are those homosexuals doing things that I'm not pleased with? Did your uncle do something unspeakable to you when you were a kid? Absolutely. I'm not debating any of that. But I still love these people, and I'll do whatever it takes to win their hearts to me, because I don't want to have to destroy them in my judgment. And I want you to treat them in the same way. Yeah, I can still reach them if you're disobedient, Joan. I remember those sailors on the boat. And yeah, I can still reach a whole city with my gospel. With your grudging obedience, but I want more from you for that. I want you to love them and to seek these people out passionately because I do. So, this last part of the book of Jonah brings us full circle with that question we asked initially Why should we bother to put out an effort to share God's gospel, his saving message with people we can't stand? Because that's what God does. God goes to great lengths to urge people to repentance. So should we. Don't hold back with the the Ninevites in your life that you know. The reason that you and I should go the extra mile to share the gospel with others, even the people we can't stand, is because that's what God did. He went the distance to humble himself as a man, to die on a cross, to win our hearts and to save our souls. We need to be baking, (laughs) baking the bank, breaking the bank, to win the lost because that's what God did with us. I just want to end on a point of application. It's simply this. Who is God brought in your path that you can't stand, that you dislike, but that you know means the gospel? And then what would it look like for you to break the bank, to bring them a step closer to the salvation they need in Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you are so patient with us, Lord. We, we forget, we get blinded, we think that somehow that we only needed a little bit of help to get saved, Lord, and we forget that we are in great need of your salvation, that we're sinners, we can't save ourselves, but you've got to do it for us. Thanks for extending your mercy to us. Thanks for seeking us out, Lord. Thanks for not blowing us up and blowing us off, Lord. Help us to develop the same heart for the loss that you have. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to move to a time.